Lessons 60-62 to 62 of the History of London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The History of London by Walter Besant. Lesson 60. The Government of the City. Part 1. Let us walk into the streets. You will not observe, because you are used to these things and have been brought up among them and are accustomed to them, that all the men go about unarmed, that they do not carry even a stick for their protection, that they do not fight or quarrel with each other, that the strong do not knock down the weak, but patiently wait for them and make room for them, that ladies walk about with no protection or escort, that things are exposed for sale with no other guard than a boy or a girl, that most valuable articles are hung up behind a thin pane of glass. You will further observe men in blue, you call them policemen, who stroll about in a leisurely manner looking on and taking no part in the bustle. What do these policemen do? In the roads the vehicles do not run into one another but follow in rank and order, those going one way taking their own side. Everybody is orderly. Everything is arranged and disposed as if there was no such thing as violence, crime, or disorder. You think it has always been so? Nay, order in human affairs does not grow of its own accord. Disorder, if you please, grows like the weeds of the hedgeside, but not order. Again, you always find the shops well provided and filled with goods. There are the food shops those which offer meat, bread, fruit, vegetables, coffee, tea, sugar, butter, cheese. These shops are always full of these things. There is never a day in the whole year when the supply runs short. You think all these things come of their own accord? Not so. They come because their growth, importation, carriage and distribution are so ordered by experience that has accumulated for centuries that there shall be no failure in the supply. Again, you find every kind of business and occupation carried on without hindrance. Nobody prevents a man from working at his trade, or from selling what he has made. One workman does not molest another, though he is a rival. You think, perhaps, that this peacefulness has come by chance? Nay! Strife comes to men left without rule, but not peace. You may observe further that the streets are paved with broad stones, convenient for walking, and easy to be kept clean. That the roadways are asphalted or paved with wood, and are also clean. Things that must be thrown away are not thrown into the streets, they are collected in carts and carried away. You think that the streets of cities are kept clean by the rain? Not so. If we had only the rain as a scavenger, we should be in a sorry plight. You find that water is laid on in every house. How does that water come? That gas lights up houses and streets. How does the gas come? That drains carry off the rain and the liquid refuse. How did the drains come? You may see as you go along a man who walks from house to house delivering letters. Does he do this of his own accord? You know very well that he does not, that he is paid to do it, 
that he does his duty. What is the whole of his duty? Who gives him his orders? Or you may see another man going from house to house leaving a paper at each. He is a rate collector. What is a rate collector? Who gives him authority to take money from people? What does he do with the money? Or you may see placards on the walls asking people to vote for this man or for that man, for the school board, the county council, the house of commons, or the vestry. Why does this man want to get elected to one of those councils? What will he do when he is elected? What are all these councils for? Again, the thing has never been otherwise in your recollection, and you therefore do not observe it. But if you listen, you will find that men talk with the greatest freedom as they walk with their friends. No one interferes with their conversation. No one interferes with their dress. No one asks them what they want or where they are going. Did this personal freedom always exist? Certainly not, for personal freedom does not grow of its own accord. You will also observe, as you walk along, churches, in every street a church, of all denominations. You will find posted on the walls notices of public meetings for discussion, or for lectures and addresses on every conceivable topic. You will see boys crying newspapers in which all subjects are treated with the utmost freedom. You suppose, perhaps, that freedom of thought, of speech, of discussion, of writing, comes to a community like the rain and the wind? Not so. Slavery comes to a community, if you please, but not freedom. That has to be achieved. You have seen the city growing larger and wealthier, the people getting into finer houses, wider streets, and more settled ways. Now there is a thing which goes with the advance of a people. It is good government. Unless with advance of wealth there comes improved government, the people fall into decay. But, which is a remarkable thing, good government can only continue or advance as the people themselves advance in wisdom as well as in wealth. Such government as we have now would have been useless in the time of King Ethelred or King Edward I. Such government as we have now would be impossible had not the citizens of London continued to learn the lessons in order, in good laws, in respect to law, which for generation after generation were submitted to the people. End of Lesson 60 Lesson 61 the Government of the City, Part 2 Since all these things do not grow of their own accord, by whom were they first introduced, planted, and developed? By whom are they now maintained? By the collection of powers and authorities which we call the Government of the City and County of London. Thus order reigns in the streets. In the rare cases where disorder breaks out, the policeman is present to stop it. His presence stops it. Not because he is a strong man, but because he is irresistible. He is the servant of the law. He represents authority. 
Formerly the alderman of the ward walked about his own streets followed by two bailiffs. If any one dared to resist the alderman, he was liable to have his hand struck off by an axe. In this way people were taught to respect the law. By such sharp lessons it was forced upon them that the law must be obeyed. Thus there gradually grew up among them a desire for order. The policeman appointed by the chief police officer stands for a symbol and reminder of the law. You have seen how the people of London had their folks moat, their ward moat, and their hustings. From the first of these has sprung the common council, which rules over the city of London within the old boundaries. The folks moat was a parliament of the people, a rude and tumultuous assembly, no doubt, but a free assembly. When the city grew great, such a parliament became impossible. It therefore became an elective parliament. The election was, and still is, conducted at the ward moats, each ward returning so many members in proportion to its population, for the common council. The councillors are elected for one year only. If there is a vacancy, an alderman is also elected, but that is for life. Formerly, every man in London followed a trade. He therefore belonged to a company. And as the commonalty, all the men of London together assembled, i.e. all the members of all the companies, elected the mayor, so to this day the electors of the Lord Mayor are the members of the companies. None others have any voice in the election. The companies no longer include all the citizens, and the craftsmen have nearly all left the city, but the power remains. The Lord Mayor is the chief magistrate. With him is the Court of Aldermen, also magistrates. He has with him the great officers of the city, the Recorder, or Chief Justice, the Town Clerk, the Chamberlain, who is the Treasurer, the Remembrancer, and the Common Sergeant. The education of the young, the maintenance of the old, the paving and cleansing of the streets, the lighting, the removal of waste, the engines for extinguishing fires, the regulation of the road traffic, the preservation of order, all these things are conducted by the various councils and courts of the city, and the cost is provided by that kind of taxation known as the rates. That is to say, Every house is rated or estimated as worth so much rent. The tenant who pays the rent has to pay, in addition, a charge of so much in the pound for this and that object. Thus, for education, if the rate be one shilling in the pound, a man in the house whose rent is a hundred pounds has to pay five pounds on that charge. He has to pay also for the police, the fire brigade, the poor, lighting and paving. His own water supply is managed by a private company, and another private company gives him his gas or his electricity. In the same way the food is provided by private persons, and brought to the city by private companies. Thus you are governed by men whom you are supposed yourselves to elect. Order is kept for you, Education, protection, and conveniences are found for you. In a word, 
life is made tolerable for you by your own government, elected by yourselves, and at your own cost. End of Lesson 61 Lesson 62 The Government of the City Part 3 That is the best government which gives the greatest possible liberty to its people. Only that people can be happy which is capable of using their freedom aright. You have seen how your personal freedom from violence, robbery and molestation in your work is secured for you, how you are enabled to live in comfort and cleanliness by a vast machinery of government whose growth has been gradual and which must always be ready to meet changes so as to suit the needs of the people. One point you must carefully remember, that your greatest liberty is liberty of speech and of thought and of the press. It is not so very long since martyrs, Catholic as well as Protestant, were executed for their religious belief. Catholics and Jews, until quite recently, were excluded from Parliament. A hundred years ago the debates of Parliament could not be reported, one had to weigh his words very carefully in speaking of the sovereign or the ministers. Certain forms of opinion were not allowed to be published. All that is altered. You can believe what you like, and advocate what you like, so long as it is not against divine law or the law of the land. Thus, if one were to preach the duty of murder, he would be very properly stopped. Therefore, when you buy a daily paper, whenever you enter a church or chapel, whenever you hear an address or a lecture, remember that you are enjoying the freedom won for you by the obstinacy and the tenacity of your ancestors. We have spoken of the city companies. They still exist, and though their former powers are gone, and they no longer control the trades after which they are named, their power is still very great on account of the revenues which they possess, and their administration of charities, institutions, etc., under their care. There were one hundred and nine in all, but many have been dissolved. There are still, however, seventy-six. About half of these possess halls, which are now the great houses of the city. The number of liverymen, i.e. members of the companies, is 8,765. The companies vary greatly in numbers. There are 448 haberdashers, for instance, 380 fishmongers, and 356 spectacle-makers, while there are only 16 fletchers, i.e. makers of arrows. Many of the trades are now extinct, such as the fletchers above named, the bowyers, the girdlers, the bowstring-makers, and the armourers. Some of these companies are now very rich. One of them possesses an income, including trust money, of £83,000 a year. It must be acknowledged that the companies carry on a great deal of good work with their money. Many of them, however, have little or nothing. The basket-makers have only £102 a year, the glass-sellers only twenty-one pounds a year, the tin-plate workers seven pounds seven shillings a year. If, therefore, you hear of the great riches of the city companies, remember, one, 
that twenty-five of them have less than five hundred pounds a year each, and two, that the rich companies support technical colleges and schools, grant scholarships, encourage trade, hold exhibitions, maintain almshouses, and make large grants to objects worthy of support. It is not likely that the privilege of electing the Lord Mayor will long continue to be in the hands of the companies. It is not indeed worthy of a great city that its chief magistrate should be elected by so small a minority as 8,765 out of the hundreds of thousands who have their offices and transact their business in the city. But while this privilege will cease, the companies may remain and continue to exercise a central influence, at the least in London, over the crafts and arts which they represent. Let us never destroy what has been useful. Let us, on the other hand, preserve it, altered to meet changed circumstances. For an institution is not like a tree which grows and decays. If it is a good institution, built upon the needs, and adapted to the circumstances of human nature, it will never decay, but, like the Saxon form of popular election, live and develop and change, as the people themselves change from age to age. End of Lesson 62 Recording by Ruth Golding